So I'm going to be um, I'm going to be talking this morning about or the sort of theme that I'm going to be running is how to a bound rather than b bound. So a bound, don't b bound. See what I did there? It's good, isn't it? It doesn't work any further. You can't you can't go to c bound. Um, or you could if you're if yeah okay you could all right very well. Um, and we're going to be spending quite a bit of our time uh, this morning in um, in two Corinthians. So if you turn your Bibles to two Corinthians, and we'll be um, We'll be coming back to that in a little bit. So 2 Corinthians chapter 9 is where we're going to be um, a little bit later on. But really the, the theme that uh, encompasses this is around God's view of, um, of prosperity and God's view of giving. And this sometimes is a really hard, I actually think it's a harder subject to receive and to hear than it is necessarily to, to, to talk on. And I think the reason for that is that... Um, Frankly, there's so much bad teaching around that is driven by fear and driven by sometimes greed and driven by um, a lack of understanding of the way that God works and the way that just God loves you so much. Um, And this is something which originally, um, who did the the Word Alive Bible School about, it must have been five, six years ago. Hi, Sarah, over there. Great, Sarah did it, and so did Nick. Um, that's good, actually. Not many people did that. This was something originally that I, I spoke about at the Word Live. I think it was an encounter day, which was a sort of Saturday away day, um, about five or six years ago. Um, and, and preparing for something like that just is... It's a, if you get, ever get the opportunity, if Mark ever asks you to prepare for something like that, do so. Because you just invest so much of your, of your time in the Word, partly out of fear, because you think, I've got to speak to people about this in a, in a few days' time. Um, but just what you receive back from God is just amazing, and it just blesses you so much. If you ever get that opportunity, take it. But I originally spoke about this five or six years ago, um, and since then, God's just been working on me on the whole theme and developed it and developed it and developed it. And so I'm going to sort of bring this morning really what the the latest that that, that God's been teaching me um, on this. And the fundamentals don't change from the encounter day before you ask for your money back from that day. Um, But it's moved on, and, and, and there's a greater understanding um, in it. So what I'd ask, because of the theme, I'd ask as well that you just set aside what you've perhaps heard about this subject in the past, because I think God just wants to bless you completely today and just, just absolutely blow your mind with, with just how good, he is, um, how good he is. So let's start off in, um, in John. Sorry, I know I've just taken you to 2 Corinthians. John chapter 10, verse 10, which I think I've got on the screen as well. And that says, the thief comes only in order to steal and kill and destroy. And I came that they might have and enjoy life and have it in abundance till the, to the full until it overflows. That's got to be one of the most famous verses in the Bible. You don't really need to turn to it in your Bible to, to know what it says. Um, but I think it's so powerful and it really sets the scene for what I'm going to be talking about um, this morning. So Jesus came so that we would have life and so that we could have life in abundance. And that means we need to be free to enjoy life. If we're fighting the bondage of of sin or if we're fighting the bondage of sickness or of fear or of lack, then we can't get to the next stage, which is the enjoyment of life and to have that abundant life that Jesus came to give us as part of uh, as part of the cross. So if you're just fighting every day to live and to find food to eat 
or to keep warm or to pay the gas bill or the mortgage or these sorts of things, then that doesn't really mean you're set free to enjoy what God has uh, provided for you. You're just dealing with the basics. You're dealing with survival, not, not living. If you're thinking about nursery costs or you know, paying for the holiday next year, can we have a holiday next year, all these sorts of things, um, we end up becoming enslaved by the lifestyle that we're trying to live rather than set free into the lifestyle which Jesus purchased for us. Now, there's nothing necessarily wrong with wanting to take the family on holiday next year or upgrading to a new iPhone. What are we on? Eight? Seven? Seven? You can tell I'm not anywhere near that <laughs> level. Um, yeah, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with wanting to go to the cinema or having a nice car or, or these sorts of things. But Jesus wants, us to, to, Jesus wants to release us into that lifestyle to avoid us being bound up by it and enslaved by it. And part of that is God wants us to be prosperous. If we go to Psalms chapter 35, it says, this is verse, uh, verse 27. read it off the screen couldn't I it'd be easier there we go let them shout for joy and be glad who favor my righteous cause and let them say continually let the Lord be magnified who has pleasure in the prosperity of his servant has pleasure in the prosperity of his servant and what's really interesting is the prosperity that God has for us and that God wants us to have and that he takes pleasure in differs really from the prosperity that we understand in, I think, two key ways. Firstly, and this is awesome, it is far in excess of anything that we could imagine. Now, we know he wants to give us a good measure, shaken down and running over. We, we know those verses. We hear them frequently there from Malachi, which actually we'll, we'll return to um, later on. Um, sorry, that's from Luke, isn't it? So Luke, uh, I think, I don't know if I've got on the screen, Luke chapter 6. Um, verse 38, give and it will be given to you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. Isn't that a lovely verse? Oh, we hear that a lot here, but I wonder how many times we actually really receive it into us. That actually, that really is what God has in mind for us and what he, what he wants for us. And we, we'll, we'll come back to Malachi later, but there's that wonderful image in Malachi of, of how the, the, the blessing that God has for us is just so enormous that the storehouses are running over. There's not enough space to keep the abundance that God has in mind for us. A wonderful, wonderful image. I think there's a strange tendency for the church across the world, and in Cambridge and here sometimes, for us to actually restrict the ambition that God has for the prosperity in our lives. That There's this strange it's almost a guilt complex we get about wealth and about prosperity um, that sometimes we get embarrassed by it. And I think the reason for that is a good thing. We see poverty in the world. We see people struggling in the world. But we then twist a good gift that God has for us and, and feel guilty about that gift because of the poverty. It doesn't mean we don't want to do anything about the poverty and we don't, shouldn't have a heart for it. But we shouldn't twist the view that God has for us, that he wants us to be prosperous by receiving guilt about that prosperity that God has in mind for us, rather than receiving it and doing something with it. I think that's the key. 
I think sometimes we can make prosperity an idol. I think we see that. We all know. You know we read in the, in the papers about you know, businesses and, 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 and becoming greedy and insider trading and all these sorts of things which, which are, have, have, have their root in greed. We read about that. And we know that, um, we know that wealth and prosperity can become an idol. But in itself, wealth and prosperity is not unholy. The rich man finds it harder to get into the kingdom of heaven than to go through the eye of an eel, not because he's rich, but because he places his trust in that richness rather than in Jesus and what Jesus did for him. It's not the fact he's rich, he struggles to get into the kingdom of heaven. It's because he trusted only in those riches and didn't put his trust um, in Jesus. We know that God is no respecter of persons. Romans, um, Romans chapter 2, that's in, I think, isn't it? Look at someone who knows these things, Roger. I'm pretty sure it's Romans chapter 2. It says, God is no respecter of persons. He doesn't show favoritism. He, 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 we know that he wants to bless us. He knows he wants us to be prosperous. And the great news is, he doesn't show favoritism. So if you see in another Christian brother or sister prosperity, you know that he wants just as much for you as for them, which is absolutely awesome. I find it strange, this sort of guilt that we sometimes get, because we're actually quite unique as a community, as a Christian community in having that sort of guilt. If you go to, say, Esther and I used to live in, in northwest London in a very Jewish area, Mill Hill, which is filled with wonderful bakeries and things like that, which you know, are blessings that the Jewish community has given us. You have to go to Waitrose for the bacon, but that's okay. <laughs> but something you saw there was, was there was a real aspiration for prosperity. It wasn't seen as something which was somehow dirty or unholy. That wasn't, that wasn't that people didn't recognize that there was some absolute abject poverty within the Jewish community, because there is across the world and in Israel as much as in this country. But the Jewish community were able to reconcile God's desire for them to be prosperous and the fact that there were still some very, very poor people. And that prosperity was used often to help those people. And there, were, there was a lot of uh, charitable activity around uh, helping you know, people in need, people who, were, who, had, uh, who had sicknesses and these sorts of things. It was a wonderful, wonderful thing to see. And I think that's the model that Jesus wants us to, uh, to adopt. So firstly, God's prosperity differs from our prosperity, and it's just so much bigger, so much more than we could ever imagine. And secondly... God's measure of what makes us prosperous isn't defined by how much we have, but by how much we give. A complete turning over of what really makes us prosperous. And then we're going to get to our main passage now, 2 Corinthians um, chapter 9, verse 8. Let's just find that. We'll actually start in the verse before that. But So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God, God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you abound in every good work. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. Now that's from the, I think, the New King James Version. 
there. There's a wonderful little addition that goes in the Amplified Version. I often find it useful to compare different translations of the Bible because it helps, it helps me anyway to kind of understand really what that meaning was, that I might read something in the NIV and not really get it, and it might be I have to go to the Amplified or the King James Version to really understand what it says. And there's a wonderful little addition in the, uh, in the Amplified Version. If you scroll on to the next slide, which is um, abound in every good work, an act of charity. Just explains a little bit more about what, what's, uh, what, what's meant there by that, by that um, verse. So we're going to just sort of break apart this, uh, this, this verse a little bit now. The first thing I want to say is God's kind of giving leads to God's kind of prosperity. A really good form of giving leads to a really good form of prosperity. So let's just break this down a second. Let's look there at the first, uh, the, the first bit. God is able. That simply means God has the capacity to bless us. Now, that shouldn't really come as a surprise. He's God, after all. Um, but we sometimes forget just the resources that are available, really, to God and to, to heaven. You know, we're never going to make a dent in, um, in, in the resources of heaven by what God wants to flow through us. You know, anything that he, anything that he, 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 he pours into our life is going to be, it might feel like a torrent to us, but it's a drop in the ocean so far as, uh, as heaven uh, is concerned. Now, what's really interesting about this, and which I find troublesome to start with, is it says God is able. It doesn't say God will fiddle. That's not good. <laughs> but we know, as we saw earlier from Romans chapter 2, that God doesn't show favoritism. He's no respecter of persons. But that God is able must mean that somehow it's, there's a contingency there, that that receipt of that blessing is contingent on something. Now, if you think of it like that, you start getting a little bit twitchy because I think we as you know, born-again believers who, who live in faith um, don't like to think that something we receive is contingent on something else because that starts to feel an awful lot like the law. It starts to feel like, well, perhaps the cross wasn't everything, which we know it was. But don't forget that there is a mechanism through which salvation operates. So we should expect there to be a mechanism through which the receipt of all the other gifts that God and Jesus bought for us at the cross um, works around. Ephesians 2, chapter 8 says, We are saved by grace through faith, and this is not for yourselves. It is the gift of God. That's uh, Ephesians 2. Grace is the source it's the, it's the engine through which we are saved. But faith is the catalyst. It's the, it's the activator which causes that grace to, to move into, in, into motion. So we have to have the faith to act in faith, to activate the grace, to receive the salvation, which then includes all the abundance that God has for us, all the healing that God has for us. There is, a, there, is, there, there is something for us to receive and to do, which is to do something in faith and to, to act in, in, in faith. But here's the good news. Again in that verse, this faith is not from yourselves. It is a gift from God. So that's good news. God has given us the faith in order to release that grace to receive what was bought for us at the cross, all of it. So, yes, God's abundant blessing is contingent upon something, 
but it's contingent on something which he's already provided for us. It's the perfect mechanism he's created. And we just have to understand that and to believe it and to, to receive it. So let's go back to our verse here in, uh, in 2 Corinthians. So we've already said God is able to bless you abundantly. And the Amplified Version puts this really nicely. It says, to make all grace, every favor and earthly blessing come in abundance to you. You know, God wants to lavish us not just with favor and health and good relationships in our lives, but also with earthly material, with, with, with blessing, with material blessing. The shops in Cambridge now are starting to fill up with Christmas stuff. Half of it's tat, half of it's really quite exciting stuff. But anyone who's a parent here starts getting a little bit excited, perhaps a little bit nervous as well at this time of year, as you start to think, what should I get, in my case, Noah and Jacob for, for Christmas? What would, re- what would they really love? What would thrill them? What would they just be delighted by? You know, we, we sometimes think God looks down on those sorts of blessings, material blessings, but we don't as earthly mothers and fathers, and he's a much better heavenly mother and fa- father. Sorry, there we go. <laughs> so we would expect him to be much more willing, much more... Um, excited about blessing us with material things. The next part of that verse, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, there's loads in here. First of all, this refers to just having all of our needs met. It's a given, okay? It's a starting point. We have to assume that what God has for us means that we don't have any lack in any area of our lives, that, that, that our needs are completely met so that, and we'll go on to the next bit in just a, just a second. But I think sometimes we restrict as well what our needs are as human beings. We, we sometimes think that our needs are maybe eating and having somewhere to sleep, somewhere that's, that's maybe safe and warm. But we don't think about all the other things. You, know, you look at in, um, in, in the world at, at loneliness and at, uh, at, at depression at work and things like that that people have. Our needs as humans... Um, rightly or wrongly, are so much more complex than simply being fed and um, being warm. You know, it, 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 we have needs around relationships. We have needs around self-esteem and, and things like that. Now, a lot of studies over the years have been done around what makes people tick. What, what are our needs as people? How do we classify our needs as, as, as people? Probably the most famous piece of work was done by a guy about 70 years ago called Abraham Maslow in the US. He was an American psychologist. Um, He did lots and lots of work. This is his most famous sort of model that he came up with about what our needs are. And it's called Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs. And anyone who's ever been on any kind of management training course in the NHS or business type thing has probably come across this before. Put your hand up if you've come across this thing before. Quite a few of you. Good. Okay. And what this is meant to do is to show that there is a that some needs are more important than others, that some needs are more that some needs need to be met before we worry about other needs. Now, this, I think it's a flawed model, but it shows very simply how our needs are more complex than simply being able to eat and being able to pay the mortgage. So it starts off at the base of that pyramid there with physiological needs. So this is the things we need for survival. So that's eating, that's having clean air, that's probably having somewhere you know, to lie down, to be able to sleep at night. It's, it's your health. It's, your, um, it, it, it's, you know, it's having access to, to medicine and things like that. 
And once, you're, once you've got those needs met, once you've been able to eat to survive the night to the following day, you start to think about, well, am I safe? Do I have somewhere to, to lie down at night where I'm not going you know, to be killed or eaten by a tiger or something like that? So we get to the safety. And once we have... So that also, in our world here, we probably take into account things like, do I have job security? You know, am I going to have an income, which is, means I'm going to be able to pay my rent next month and therefore have somewhere safe to, 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 to sleep and not end up on, on the streets? And once you've sorted that area of your life, your needs become around relationships, around belonging and love. Are you part of a family? Do you have friends? Do you, um, are you able to interact with, with, with people? You know, if you don't have somewhere to sleep, do you think someone's going to bring you in and, and look after you? And once you have that, you move on to esteem. Now, this is things like, you know, do I, um, am I respected by my family? Am I a, you know, in the olden days it would be, am I a doctor or a lawyer and things like this. You know, the, 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 the kind of things that give you a little bit of, it's where ego starts to come in, I think, around the esteem, um, esteem part of the, the triangle. And once you've dealt with those sorts of things, you start to look at what's called self-actualization, which is an incredibly poncy way of saying that, you know, I, you know, things that are of benefit for the broader human race. This might be, if you're a scientist, discovering a breakthrough for, um, for, for some disease or something like that. Or it might be, if, you're, um, if you work in literature, it could just be, um, you know, writing an amazing piece of, uh, you know, amazing literary classic that people, you know, feel enriched by and, and, and those sorts of things. So Maslow really showed us that what we need as people is an awful lot more than what we'd often just see as our needs. You know, it's a hugely complex area. Um, and the great news is that God has dealt with all of these. And someone sent me the other day a little addition to this triangle, which is <laughs> having Wi-Fi. Fundamental human need, which I'm sure we'll all agree with to a greater or lesser extent. <laughs> right, where were we? I got lost now. Behave. We've already seen that having our needs met is, is so much less than what Jesus came for. Jesus absolutely came to meet our needs in every part of our existence. Our food needs, our relationship needs, our safety needs, you know, our need to feel like we're fulfilled in what we do, our need, you know, to feel like we're contributing to um, the wider society. Jesus came to enable us um, to do all of that. But he came to do an awful lot more than that. You know what? The devil can get your needs met. The devil's very good at getting your needs met, and he's got a real incentive to do that. Because if he's got working for him people who are healthy, people who are intelligent. We just look at, look at the intelligentsia, if that's the right word, in Cambridge and, and, and the work that they're doing to try to undermine the kingdom of God, ostensibly in pursuit of human betterness. You know, the devil loves having people have their needs met. But what they don't have is the abundant prosperity that Jesus can only bring to us. Just think how much more damage his workers can do in the kingdom of God if they're healthier than us, if they're wealthier than us, if they are safer than us, if they're getting better nutrition um, than us. So Jesus came much more than just to get our needs met. 
Let's look at the next part of 2 Corinthians. God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things at all times and having all that you need, you will abound in every good work and act of charity. You know, God wants us to be liberal and generous with our giving, with our giving of money and our giving of, 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 of time. And this is solely the purpose of him blessing us abundantly so that we will abound in every good work and act of charity. Now, I just want you to imagine for a second all of the people, the friends, the causes, the, the family, the colleagues, the people you see in the shops where if you were able to offer them a blank check to help out whatever scenario, situation they're in, how many people would just love to do that, to be able to walk around with a, you know, a fistful of blank checks and every time you see someone in a need, every time you see a situation where you think you know, cash money can help out, you're able to offer them that, that check. I, I, I don't know about you, but that's something which I long to be able to do in, in my life. Just that, we, Mark spoke last week about this guy, um, Tom White, I think his name was, this guy from Boston. He was a, 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 a millionaire in, in Boston who had a heart for uh, Haiti, I think it was. Um, and he, over his lifetime, gave away something like $70 million, $80 million. He's not, he's not quite sure how much he gave away because he used to walk around with a roll of $20 notes and he would just see someone he thought was in need, and he would just, or just to bless him. You know, would go up to the guy, you know, cleaning the floor in, in a restaurant, and would just give him $20. Wouldn't, wouldn't that be a wonderful way to let God just flow through you, just, just be of that abundant um, generosity? But I would suggest that most of us still reside somewhere in that hierarchy. Maslow's hierarchy of needs. We might kind of go up and down it over the course of our day-to-day lives. And sometimes, I think we would probably also pop out the top that, you know, at times we would be able to, you know, just, just, just act and bless people um, abundantly. But I think most of the time we spend too much time, too much of our lives down there in that needs bit. And we're not even slightly breaking through into the abundance that, that Jesus um, purchased for us. And also, I think, not just purchased for us, in that area of giving, but also purposed for us in that area of giving. He really wants us to reflect his, uh, his attitude, his generosity um, to giving. I just want you to imagine what that position would, would feel like for you. What are the things that God has, has put on your heart that you would like to, to bless um, financially or bless uh, equally with, uh, with, with, with your time? What are the causes that you get excited about and which sometimes you get frustrated about or sometimes feel powerless um, to help with? You know, is it um, when you walk down the street and you see you know, five people who are, who, who, who are on the street, who are living on the street that night, and you just don't you know, who can you help? How can you help all of them? Can you, just give, you know, can you give one of them a, a pound or whatever? You know, if you just feel overwhelmed by that, I think it's because God actually wants you to break through into the prosperity that he has for you in order that you can flow in that abundance and flow in that giving that, um, that Jesus wants you to, to be part of. And just imagine if you're able to change your thought process from what if to when, or if only to when, so that it's not if only I could give whatever it is to feed the hungry or whatever, but when I give, or now I will give to those, um, to those causes. 
I think it's really important that God, it's that word abound. I think it's such a wonderful word. God wants you to abound. You know, it's, it's got a similar root to abundance and things like these wonderful words that sort of lead to a kind of bubbliness inside. It's just sort of fl- overflowing and, and these sorts of things. And I think abound is such an important part of this, um, of this, of this verse. And I think, as a body, we just need to believe it. We need to pursue it, and we, we, we need to act in, 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 in faith in it. You know, sometimes we're not sure. We're not sure what God wants us to give to. We, we're sometimes not sure, you know, who or what cause. We, we might have dozens of causes on our hearts, but we're just not sure which is the one that God wants us to, um, to really go for. If you turn to Psalm 37, God's got an answer for that um, as well. Psalm 37, verse, uh, verse 4. Here we are. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires and petitions of your heart. Now, for years, I'd understood this verse to mean, God will give me whatever I want, which I thought was awesome. He'll give me whatever I desire in my heart. And I thought that was awesome until I started to think what was in my heart. Now, you can't see inside my heart, but I can. And I can tell you that not all of the time is it a very pretty place. And too often in my life, it's not been a pretty place. So if you look at what Jeremiah says, the heart is deceitful above all things, and it is extremely sick. Who can understand it fully and know its secret motives? deceitful above all things and is extremely sick if that's what your heart is like I'm not sure it's a very good thing that God would give you all the desires of a heart that's, that's like that so there was something which didn't quite map up for me in that, in that verse and I realised actually actually Paul struggled with this as well I think didn't he in, in Romans where he talks about you know, for what I do, I do not understand, and, and, and what I want to do, I, I don't do. You know, it, it's not just an Old Testament thing, it's a New Testament thing as well, that, that our hearts, whilst they've, you know, they, are, they have been healed by Jesus, we sometimes let the old man back in, and we, 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 we see that, sort of, uh, that, that, um, that sinful nature still in, in, in our hearts. So thank goodness that Psalm 37.4 does not mean that God will give us what we desire in our heart. Actually, what it means is he will give to us the desires of our heart. So those desires are put there by God. They're put there by him. If we delight in him, our heart will be filled with all of the desires that Jesus wants us to have. It's not about getting what's already there. It's about receiving what we, what, 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 the, the things that we want, the information about what we should be wanting. Jesus will put it there. We just need to delight in him, and he'll put those things in there, And then once, once they're there, we'll know what we purpose in our heart. And we can act upon those things. We can act upon the thing, the needs that Jesus sees in the world that he wants us to be part of the solution for. Now, I think for some of us, it can often be incredibly difficult to open our hearts towards this sort of giving. You know, we, we, many of us live in... Um, in, in, in varying degrees of, of, of fear or sometimes of suspicion of the recipient of, 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 of our gift. Um, and I think sometimes we, um, we fear what the consequences of, 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 of God's kind of outrageous giving would be. What if we then don't have enough? We'll look stupid. All these sorts of, sorts of things. 
Alternatively, we might just feel, we might just feel numb um, and not experience that sort, of, uh, that sort of desire to give to a particular cause. It might be, like I was describing earlier, about you, you, see, you, know, you, you see all sorts of needs in the world. Where do you start? Where, where do you start? You know, what, what, I can't solve all these problems myself. Where do I, where do I start? And we might know that a particular cause, ministry, church, charity, is ostensibly good, but we just don't have that real passion for it. So it might be that it's a, you know, it might be feed the hungry or something like that. We know it's a, no one's going to say feed the hungry is you know, not a helpful, useful, wonderful organization, but we just might not have that passion for it. Well, God's got an answer to that as well. In um, Matthew chapter 6, it says, For where your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. Now notice here the two different tenses that are used in this, uh, in this verse. I think this is incredible. Where your treasure is, that's in the now. That's, that's, that's the present tense. That's, that's what, you know, whatever you have just done with the money you have or the time you have. It's where your treasure currently is, where you're putting it. And then there your heart will also be. Where they, the, the, the desires of your heart will also be. And that's in the future tense. That's something which will happen in, in the future. There's a cause and an effect here. Your heart will follow wherever you put your treasure, not the other way around. You don't need to have a heart for something before you put your treasure in it. But if you put your treasure in it, your heart will start to, uh, will start to pound for that particular cause. It's where you're investing your, your, your worship. You know, we talk about worship being, or giving being worship. If you're investing your worship time and your, your, your finances in a particular area, your heart will, will, will start to pound more quickly for that particular um, cause. So if you want a heart for the poor, give to the poor. If you, you don't have to have that heart now, you could just want to have it. And that's a way of breaking through that numbness or that overwhelming sense of, what do I do? Who do I give to? You just pick one. Pick the one that you want to have a heart for. And start, just give something to it, give something to it, and your heart will grow in, 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 in its passion for that particular um, area. Your heart will follow where you put your treasure. Let's come back quickly to, um, to 2 Corinthians again. And we're just going to skip a little bit there and say, go down to... Um, now, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food. So we can see here that God gives us two very distinct items. Firstly, he provides us with seed. What's seed used for? It's used for sowing. And what does sowing lead to? It leads to growth. It leads to a harvest. It leads to a reproduction and a multiplication of the thing you planted in the first place. But he also provides us with bread for food. Bread is what we need to be sustained. Bread is our needs in that big, um, that big triangle, that big uh, pyramid. Bread sustains us. It doesn't allow us to abound in every good work. And therefore, if we're in a position where we feel like 
it's only our needs that are being met. It's only the bread that we're receiving. We've still got breakthrough to come, and we should all be really, really excited um, about that. If we sow, it will supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. Next part of the, uh, next part of the verse here. Supply and increase your store of seed and it will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. The more we sow, the more seed God supplies to us and the more we start to store that seed. Now, if we have a store of seed, and a store of seed here is it's assets, it's, it's savings, it's, um, it, it's, it's, having the, it's having something which is liquid, which we're able to deploy at a moment's notice. And if we have a store of seed, then we're able to take advantage of certain situations. We're able to see a need and to react really quickly, to respond quickly to a need that we see elsewhere. Having a store, having savings, expecting God to bless us as we sow, to increase the the size of our store, to increase the amount of seed that's in our store, allows us to act quickly. It allows us to be agile. allows us to be in a position where we can bless our neighbor the moment they need blessing, rather than thinking, I can help you in three or four weeks' time. I can help you now. It enables us to be a lender and not a borrower, and it enables us just to be nimble and agile. But bear in mind, that store of seed is still seed. It's not bread. We should expect God to continue to supply the bread for our eating, whilst also, as we sow our seed, increase our store of seed. Remember, it's still seed. It can be nice sometimes sitting there, looking at your bank account, seeing 1,500 pounds in there or whatever it might be, thinking that's looking really good, but forgetting that it's seed. We need to remember that seed is seed. And eating seed, well, it's kind of disappointing. I'm sure some of you health freaks think it's quite... (laughs) Quite nice, but not really for me. So giving allows us to abound in every good work. And we've also seen how it it also affects our heart. It's a way to act out our faith. If we want to have a heart for something, we can sow into that area. And we'll see a harvest in that area. And that harvest will increase the passion in our hearts for that area. It's also a way for us to act out our faith. And do you know it's the only area, giving, where God invites us to test him, to dare him, to, to, to almost challenge him, to show just how generous and abundant and how much fun he wants to, to have with us. You know, we've all seen... Um, children jump from stairs or from a wall or from one of these tables when they shouldn't be into our arms, you know. And it's always, it's always dad's arms they're jumping into. So sorry, mums, but it always seems to be dad's. And you can always see the look on the child's face saying, Daddy, will you catch me? And there's an element that daddy might not catch them. There's a bit of danger involved in it. But, you know, is he strong enough? Will he catch me? Can he catch? You know, daddy never drops them. He never drops the children. And everyone's delighted. The dad feels just just delighted that, that their kid has, has, has trusted them to, to jump into their arms and, and, and the, the, the child is just with glee, you know, just, just on a sugar rush with the biscuits that John keeps giving them. You know, it's, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a wonderful, wonderful thing to see. 
And that's precisely what God wants to do with us in our giving. Yeah, he wants us to, to, to test him. Now, I know that you know, whenever we think of testing God, testing God, we think back to when Jesus was you know, looking, with Jesus being tempted by the devil, overlooking, um, overlooking all of the land. And, and he says, you know, do not put the Lord God to your test. He quotes is it from Deuteronomy, I think it is. Do not put the, good, do not put the Lord to your, to your test. And so we think that somehow testing God is, is a bad thing. And in most things, yeah, it is. We don't want to be doing that. It's not something which is particularly healthy. But in Malachi chapter 3, yeah, it says there, Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be foods in my house. And try me now in this. Try me now in this. Test me. Come on, try it. Says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the window of heaven and pour out such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. Try me now in this. God wants to, he wants us to test him. Why does he want us to test him? Because he wants us he wants to be blessed by him. He's got an abundance for us. He wants to thrill us with that abundance. He's got a purpose for that abundance, but he wants to thrill us with that abundance. And the only way we're going to do that is by jumping off the table, jumping off the wall, jumping off the stairs into daddy's arms and trusting that he will thrill us with that abundance. It's an amazing thing. So God's kind of giving gives to, uh, leads to God's kind of prosperity. I also think it leads to God's kind of influence. Now, when we give, we take that faith step that's needed to release into our lives God's kind of, of prosperity. You know, it's an expression actually, of our love for God when we do that, um, do that giving. In the, the previous chapter, I don't think I've got it on the screen, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, it says, See also that you excel in this grace of giving. This is um, verse 7, 2 Corinthians chapter 8. I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. God delights in seeing us act out our faith. And that faith, if you remember back to Abraham, is credited to us as righteousness. You know, that, that um, when, um, when Abraham was told by God that you know, he and Sarah were, were expecting now, these two weren't exactly um, spring chickens and not the sort that you'd expect to you know, be at their, the height of their, their, their fertility. But Abraham trusted in God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And God wants us to see a harvest of righteousness in our giving. Now, Jesus purchased for us God's kind of prosperity. I think a great analogy for this is God, or Jesus, has written the check. He's written it out to us. And when we accept Jesus as our Lord and Saviour, that check has been passed into our possession. But that check is only worth something if we actually take the step of cashing it. We can have that check sitting around in our pocket and we do. The moment we get born again, the moment we receive our salvation, you know, we have access to healing. We have access to um, 
healing of relationships. We have access to prosperity. The moment we get born again, that check is passed into our possession. And too many people walk around the rest of their lives with that check in their back pocket, doing nothing, generating nothing. They don't invest it, they sit on it. They don't even know it's there. They forget it's there. They forget the, the, the fruit that came with their salvation. So we need to cash the check. What's cashing the check? It has to be an act of faith. And what's an act of faith in relation to prosperity? It's abounding in every good work, an act of charity. It's giving as we purpose in our heart. You know, kingdom prosperity takes the path of least resistance. If you think about a river or a waterfall, that you don't see rivers going uphill. You don't see waterfalls going backwards. You see rivers and the flow that comes from a river cutting through the path of least resistance. It's not going to go through the, 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 the rock that is hardened. It's not going to go through, it's not going to cut a channel through granite, but it's going to cut a channel through softer rock. It's going to take the path of least resistance. Now, we want to see on earth things as they are in heaven. You know, we, we, so it's, it's the most common prayer in the church today, you know, on earth as it is in heaven. And heaven is just a ridiculously abundant and prosperous place. In Revelation 21, there's some, well, just read the whole thing if you want to. I'm going to pick a couple of verses from it now. Um, Revelation 21, verse 19. The foundations of the city walls were decorated with every kind of precious stone. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth ruby, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth turquoise, the eleventh jacinth, and the twelfth amethyst. Now it's talking here about the foundations. You know, these are the bits that, in our world today, are the bits that are buried in the ground, that nobody sees once they've been put there. They're the grey, horrible blocks that look ugly. You know, it's concrete poured into a trench in the ground. It's important to the building, but it's the foundations. No one's going to make the foundations look pretty on a building today. But the foundations in heaven are encrusted with jewels. You know, they're beautiful in themselves. You know, we haven't even got to building you know, the walls yet. We haven't even got to building the centerpieces, you know, the mantelpieces and the, the archways and the cornicing and things like that. This is the foundations, the bit that no one's going to see once the building is complete. But they're beautiful. They're encrusted with jewels. Such are the riches of heaven. We cannot believe just the, the wealth that's stored in heaven. I think just the abundance and the prosperity of heaven just, just blows our mind if we, you know, if we think about it, if we read um, about it. And Jesus told us to pray, you know, God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, we've already seen for us that, you know, God wants us to abound in every good work and every act of charity, and that by doing that, we'll see an increase in our store of seed. And if we want to see an increase in that store of seed, then we have to become part of that path of least resistance. 
You know, the riches of heaven need to be able to flow to earth. You know, if there's a blockage in that path, then they're not going to flow. What's going to happen is that um, the the riches are going to store up and they're going to stop moving. And when things stop moving, they stagnate, they fester, they go moldy. You know, the riches of heaven have to flow through a path. We have to make ourselves that path of least resistance in order that they flow and that they form the kind of store of seed that God wants us um, to have, you know, for our own benefit, but also so that we can become, we can abound in, in every good work and an act of charity. God's kind of giving leads us as individuals and as a body to see an increase in our influence. Now, I think that's something we sometimes struggle with as, 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 as a body. You know, if there's, um, if there's an area that's particularly on our hearts, so let's say it's, it's, it's feeding, feeding the hungry, um, you know, we can, we can rely on the word of God to, you know, to, to give in that area. We can rely that we would expect to see uh, an increase in our, um, in our abundance and our store of seed by giving into that, um, that area. It might be schools, it might be government, it could be, you know, it could be relieving poverty, any of these things which we are on our hearts to give to. But we should also expect to see an increase in our influence in those areas with the people that are for want of a better expression, the movers and shakers in in those areas. In Proverbs chapter 18, verse 16, it says, A man's gift makes room for him and brings him before great men. And in the following chapter of Proverbs, it says, Many entreat the favor of the nobility, and every man is a friend to one who gives gifts. So many entreat the favor of nobility. Many people seek that favor of nobility. They seek an audience with you know, with rich and powerful men. But every man, including those rich and powerful men, is a friend to the one who gives gifts. Now, in our country nowadays, and for good reason, you know, we, we struggle with this idea of, you could describe it as buying influence. You know, it's not seen as a, as, as, as a good thing. And there's a lot of, in business in particular, and in government and in the health service and these sorts of things, there's a lot of legislation around making sure that you know, people aren't unduly swayed by people giving them money. You know, it's called bribery. And we know that in Exodus um, chapter uh, 23, verse 8, you know, it says, you know, do, not take a, do not take a bribe. We know that bribery is, is wrong. But what we sometimes fail to see is that giving of gifts still is a valid way to generate influence in that particular, um, that particular area. You know, if, um, but it can be abused. You know, if I, um, let's say, with Stephen's business, which makes really clever stuff to stop computers getting hacked and to make sure organizations are secure and that sort of thing. Um, if, I, um, if I had said to him that, you know, I, my company's quite interested in making sure that all of our data's secure and that no one's going to come and hack it and steal it, all these sorts of things. Um, and Stephen starts thinking there could be a, could be a sale here. So maybe, maybe, what I'll do is, um, maybe what I'll do is invite Paul to think the Cambridge the varsity match or, or something like that and that might influence him that might make him you know slightly uh, uh, slightly more likely to choose my product than that of a of a rival and so because we're all as a nation and as uh, organizations um, 
scared of bribery and things like that. We don't want bribery to be a part of our lives. You know, I have to go back and fill out lots of forms and make sure that what Stephen's buying for me, this varsity match ticket, Stephen, yeah, um, <laughs> are, um, um, is appropriate. That, you know, I have to have it recorded to make sure that I'm not unduly influenced by Stephen um, or Stephen's hospitality, Stephen's gift to me in the decision I, I, I make. And all that's needed um, because it's a fact of life that people are influenced by a gift. And when that influence is abused, it's called bribery. But the Bible refers to um, a man's gift makes room for him. It brings him before great men. We should expect where we sow our seed to generate influence in that area for us to become more influential. Now, King Solomon was the wisest and the wealthiest person um, who's ever walked and ever will walk um, the planet. Now, he didn't want for anything. You know, you can just imagine... Um, how long it would have taken um, to get a meeting with King Solomon when he was around. You know, you would be calling his secretary, you'd get rejected by his secretary, who would just fob you off, and you'd get given another number to call, and that would go dead. This, you just wouldn't stand a chance of just being able to turn up and have a meeting with him, as surely many people did. I mean, people you know, nowadays pay thousands and thousands of pounds to go and hear people like Warren Buffett, the, the billionaire investor in the US, speak. You know, they... They pay thousands of pounds to hear Richard Branson speak and these sorts of things. King Solomon, whose wealth you know, dwarfed the combined wealth of all those people, you, know, you just wouldn't be able to get time in, 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 in his diary. But you'd also expect that because anything I could offer him would just be a drop in the ocean compared to what he already had, that he would be you know, unbuyable. You wouldn't be able to influence him by a gift because he's got everything. You know? and, and also he's the world's most wise man. You know, he's not going to be fooled by my, you know, little, I don't know, cake that I buy for him or, or watch that I send him or, or these sorts of things. He was, you know, the most, demand, most in-demand person um, of, of that age. But if we turn to 1 Kings chapter 10, this is the story of when the Queen of Sheba came to see King Solomon. And she had heard about Solomon's wisdom. She had heard about his wealth. And, well, she had a few questions for him. And she wanted an audience with him. But that's not going to happen. Diary secretary said, no. Five years' time, earliest you can get, five minutes between meetings. You can snatch a bit of time with him. And it says here in verse 2, She came to Jerusalem with a very great retinue, with camels that bore spices, very much gold and precious stones. So she came with gifts. Now, we know those gifts because of the magnitude of Solomon's wealth must have been tiny compared to what he had. But she brought a gift. She brought a gift for him. And when she came to Solomon, she spoke with him about all that was in her heart. So Solomon answered all her questions. There was nothing so difficult for the king that he couldn't explain it to her. So even King Solomon, world's richest, world's wisest, was influenced by a gift and the Queen of Sheba was able to enter into that influential place because of the gift that she gave to King Solomon. Solomon became a friend of the one who gave gifts. He became a friend of, of the Queen of Sheba. And what excites me about all of this is just how potent a tool, a weapon 
our giving can be in our walk with God and in the causes that God puts onto our heart. First of all, God will give us those desires. He'll give us those causes. He will, he will, um, he will put on our hearts, increasingly as we give into those areas, a passion for might be the hungry, it might be the poor, it could be the business, it could be, it could be for, for churches, it could be for, for anything. But God, God knows what the needs are around the world and he will give to you when you seek it from him and delight in him. He will give you the desires of your heart. And we know that where our treasure is, there our heart will also be. As we give, that becomes magnified. We, we get more excited about those particular areas. We, we, we get more excited about you know, feeding the hungry heart. The size of our ambition grows that we don't just want to see you know, Cambridge free of, of people who are hungry. We want to see the whole of East Anglia free of people who are hungry. We want to see the whole of England, the whole of Great Britain, the whole of Europe, the whole of the world free of people who are hungry. You know, he, he, as we give into those areas, our heart, um, our heart pounds faster for that particular cause that Jesus has put on our heart in the first place. And we see as well that as we give into those areas, he will bless us abundantly as we abound in every good work and act of charity. That the act of giving, the act of giving our finances to God leads to the creation or the receipt of more seed for sowing later. We create a store of seed. We're able to, to react quickly. We're able to act with agility we're able to um we're able to act when circumstances prevent anything else from acting you know that's the way he he helps us to 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 trounce the devil in these areas he encourages us to store a store of seed so we can react into situations more quickly than 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 any other mechanism we should expect to see a harvest of of righteousness you know we we want to see heaven come down and 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 bless um, the world we want to see um, we want to see it on earth as it is in heaven. And, and the manifestation of that is a harvest of righteousness. And, and if we give, we'll see that harvest of, of righteousness. And as we give, we'll also see that our gift makes room for us before great men. That as we give, say, into feeding the hungry, that we'll come before the town council, the town mayor, whatever it might be, people who have influence in the city, in our villages, in, in the region, will we'll start to gain influence with those people in order that we can impart on them what is on our heart. And it's a, it's a positive cycle. You know, We're able to, to influence those people who can move perhaps what we might call secular resources. It's all God's resource, but you know, we, 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 we can influence people to drive the direction of funds and finances in a way that is on our heart because it's come from God. And the more the valve in our heart is, 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 is open, the more we'll flow. You know, we can put ourselves into a place where we are part of the path of least resistance, where the riches, the abundance in heaven will flow through us and out into the world. And as it does that, it will store seed. And we can just utterly rely on the fact that God wants to meet all of our needs. The complexity of our needs is, is met, and, and it's a given. It's a given because he wants us to go on to blessing abundantly and being part of um, the harvest of, of righteousness that he, that he has for us. I think it just it, it blows my mind the more I look at it and the more God says to me about the power of giving in our lives. And, 
And, and I think that's why it has become, it's why the devil has tried to make us think that this is, well, it, the devil has succeeded in manipulating a lot of us a lot of the time. You know, I think a, a lot of people have, 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 have given messages which are, um, which are messed up, which are based on uh, either selfish ambition or fear of lack. And um, that's just not what God has, has in mind for us. I know this can be a very difficult area for us to progress in. And it has to start, as with every other part of our walk with God, of just trusting him, of jumping into his arms. And I can promise you that if we do that, we will see such encouragement in all of those areas that you'll discover a new kind of freedom, in our, not just in our giving, but in our, in our lives, that there'll just be a joy that comes with, with being able to see God um, flow his riches through you and blessing um, other people, of blessing the causes that are on his heart that he's put onto your heart. It's a wonderful, wonderful, sweet thing. You know, God wants us to abound in our giving. He doesn't want us to be bound by our giving. He wants to set us free um, in that. Just trying to think how to, how to wrap this up today. I think, I think, um, I think there's a few things we want to we break out of as, as, as individuals. I think, I think we need to break free from um, any manipulative teaching that we've received into our hearts in the past. If, 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 if the thought of you know, a message about giving um, or about prosperity has, has led you at the beginning to having that sinking feeling of, it's that giving preach again. You know, I, 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 I want you to respond in some way. Um, today, perhaps, um, perhaps if some some of the worship team could perhaps come up. Um, God's got so much for each of us. His resources are just incredible. He he wants us to he wants us to feel the joy that he experiences, and wants us to he wants us to feel that as we allow his riches to pass through us and the riches of heaven are so abundant that you know we get to share in in the kind of the crumbs that come come back when when we are you know a vessel for his his riches and we allow stuff to flow through us and we should expect as a body for us to live in a in a way where all of our needs all of our financial needs all of the needs in that triangle are fully met and I believe strongly that um, too often as a body we live somewhere in that triangle and we don't break out into the, the goodness that God has for us through our giving enough. And I just want to break that off people um, today. And if you, if, you, if you have that fear around giving, if you have that fear around your finances. You might not be in a position yet where you feel you've been able to give in, in, in life. You know, may, maybe, maybe that tips your budget the wrong way. You know, um, I want to break that off you now. We've got have dozens of people here who have testimonies about how you know, doing the maths doesn't work in their, in their lives or in their month. That They know they've got bills coming in, but they've only got this much income coming in. And God's done some amazing things in, in, in those areas. And, and they're for you. You know, God is no respecter of persons. And, and, and that's not just for, for specific individuals. It's for anyone who just 
who embraces what what God has has done for us. And, and if you want, if you want a if you want a passion that's given to you from God for for, for if, if you want to if you want to have if you want if you want God to tell you what 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 the desires in your heart need to be, you just need to delight in Him. And that's why I want the worship team to come back up so we can just worship Him and delight in Him and celebrate Him. Um, so that we can receive from him the desires of our, of our heart. And then I want each of us just to look at, well, what, what, is, our, what is our next step? How do we start to flow in this abundance of, of God? And if that brings to mind in you any, any fear, if you are nervous that you don't have enough, then I just want to encourage you that you do have enough because yours are um, yours are the riches of heaven they're there to cool down um, for what God has purposed in, 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 in your heart and I find that such an exciting prospect